All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you uh, can subscribe to either of our newsletters by going to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com. You do need to put your name on a waiting list for Chen Lin. He uh, does limit the number of subscribers that he has and will be taking new subscribers at the start of the new year. But put your name on the waiting list and in the order uh, that it is put up there, you will be uh, selected uh, as as a new subscriber to Chen's newsletter. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and I would encourage you to continue to send your uh, questions and comments to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number for Taylor at gmail.com. We'd like to invite uh, each of you also to follow me on Twitter. My handle there is jtaylormedia.com. Uh, and I uh, want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show Caden Resources, Avino Silver, Columbus Gold, uh, Cornerstone Capital, and Wellgreen Platinum. I should mention that I have uh, reverted now back to a one-hour show each week for a couple of reasons. First, I have thoroughly documented over the past five years or so since I started the show that the economy is in huge trouble and that nothing the policymakers have been doing are making anything better. In fact, if anything, things are much worse than they were, and I started this program back in March of 2009. So there is no reason, I believe, to be optimistic in terms of the existing establishment, expecting them to change their ways. In their humanistic arrogance, they do not believe in natural law. They certainly do not believe in the markets uh, that our founding fathers believed in, in free markets. And, uh, and so we can count on Republicans and Democrats alike in the mainstream to continue making things worse, not better. But ultimately, the system unfortunately, will break down. And when that happens, there may be a chance for something better to emerge. People are properly, if if people are properly educated about free market economics and the link between free market economics and personal liberty, that's why we had Ron Paul on last week and countless guests over the years that we've had here to help educate people in that regard. To an extent, uh, going forward, I will continue to talk about the current economic reality, but more importantly, I want to focus more on the positive purpose of this show, and that is what the name implies, turning hard times into good times. In other words, 
I want to focus on the practical preparation for the doomsday that lies ahead instead of focusing only on the negative aspects of the difficulties that lie ahead. In other words, how can we turn what is a negative into something that's positive? Recently, I have had uh, uh, most frequently on my guest, uh, in the second hour especially, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and David Jensen. David uh, is a Vancouver-based engineer and a very strong advocate of Austrian economics. I've had Daniel on my show frequently because he keeps, really helps me keep up to date with what is truly going on geopolitically as opposed to what we're hearing from the mainstream press. Uh, and so uh, he's been very helpful, for example, in understanding why uh, the policies that our, that, our, uh, that our politicians are pursuing with regard to the Ukraine simply will not work and why there is an impasse and why Putin simply cannot, cannot ba- break down or back down and let NATO overcome Russia and overcome and take control of his country, of, of the country of the Russian people. Uh, and David has been very helpful to me in keeping track of geopolitical forces. Uh, the forces themselves, or Daniel's down in the weeds and really helps me understand the details. I think David has been very helpful in, uh, in sort of understanding the connection between those bo- geopolitical forces and the financial markets, and in particular the precious metals market. So going forward, though, I do expect to continue to talk to both of these gentlemen from time to time, but I also want to try to uh, put forward to you some of the headlines, some of the bullet points, if you will, uh, simply because we don't have the time in one hour to cover all of the material that we were covering in two hours. So for today, for example, I'd like to point uh, in the direction of the Ron Paul Institute uh, for Peace and Prosperity website. There's a couple of excellent, I thought, very very important articles there. Uh, the first one is the uh, uh, has to do. It's titled "Is the New York Times Growing Weary of Kiev?" Now, every day Kiev seems to be warning that Russia is uh, is uh, sending troops over the border into Ukraine. Uh, and it used to be that whenever these warnings came from the Ukrainian-based uh, government, you would hear uh, the stock market would take a dive. Well, it's no longer. Happening, it seems as though the equity market isn't concerned. If Russia, if indeed it's true, and I don't believe that it is, but if indeed it's true that uh, Russia is aggressively pushing uh, troops into the Ukraine, as the Ukrainian government says, uh, the market certainly isn't so concerned about it anymore. Uh, also, there is an a- another excellent article on the Ron Paul Institute uh, site by Ron Paul himself uh, on this day, Veterans Day, in which he talks about how the Federal Reserve really has blood on its hands because it is, in fact, the financier of endless American wars. So take away the Federal Reserve and you cannot have all the killing and the murdering of people, innocent citizens around the world that we have, thanks to the Federal Reserve. Well, I would suggest that you go to the Ron Paul Institute website and consider if you believe that they are doing something that's worthwhile and good, then consider donating to the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, as I have, because I truly believe that we do need to know the truth about what's really going on. And if you think that you can get the truth from the mainstream media, well, you're, I think, unfortunately misguided in believing that, because there is no dissension there. It is just one viewpoint, basically, that's given to you within any kind of reason. So you have to, unless you go outside of the mainstream media, uh, you're destined to believe what they want you to believe and uh, not to do too much thinking on your own, I might add. 
regarding David Jensen, he does. Uh, he I did chat with him earlier this week, and he informed me again that we are still in backwardation. The gold market is still in backwardation, which suggests that uh, that people are becoming desperate about picking up physical gold. And this is a very important issue. I think you need to keep your eyes on because uh, if uh, the paper markets no longer prevail, that is the what I think are truly, truly fraudulent paper markets that convince us that the COMEX and the LBMA are the real price of gold, which in fact is not the truth because of the enormous amounts of paper uh, futures contracts that are entered in by a few of the uh, major bullion banks. They can completely control and manipulate those markets. I think there's, there's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind now, and that's been going on for some time. But the real markets for gold in Shanghai, in Asia, and in Russia, and places where people are really demanding the physical gold not some phantom price of gold as the COMEX market is all about. Well, uh, the thing is, if people start to really say, well, wait a minute, I want to take delivery of my gold and it's not there, then we could see an explosion in price. And that's what uh, seems to be happening or suggesting at least from the backwardation that's occurring in the gold market. So this is a very important issue to keep your uh, keep your eyes on. Now, um, you know whether or not that's true or not, uh, from a purely non-emotional technical point of view, here is what Dr. Robert McHugh had to say about the gold markets in his missive that he sent out early in the early hours of today's market after the close yesterday. He said, gold closed back above the bottom boundary of its two standard deviation 20-day Bollinger Bands Friday on, on the, November 7th and after closing below that bottom boundary from November 3 through November 6th. This, and I would underscore this, this is a new gold Bollinger bands buy signal. Same for uh, same situation for silver. We can now expect gold to start a new rising trend. Same for silver. The last two times gold generated a buy signal, gold rallied sharply thereafter. The last three times it generated a buy signal, silver rallied thereafter. We show a short-term uh, chart for gold uh, that gives a possible wave labeling for uh, Rally Friday. November 7th, and that decline uh, Monday, November 10th, um, in this week's newsletter. Gold looks to have finished a wave five down and a five wave decline from July top. This wave V down suggests that uh, finish, we may have completed a higher degree wave. Uh, in, in other words, what, what uh, Mr. Dr. McHugh is saying is he believes that we are on to a new, uh, at least an immediate, intermediate term bull market in gold. Well, certainly the gold markets uh, are showing some strength today, up some $20 earlier today, uh, and a rough day yesterday, but it does seem to be bouncing back. Uh, McHugh is also turning very bullish on, um, or is suggesting that we're very near a turning point on the gold shares as well. Well, time will tell for sure, uh, but we will... um, we will keep up to date with uh, Dr. McHugh and pass that on to you, as well as I do in my weekly newsletter. Now, with regards to today's show, I've titled today's show, Has the PhD Standard Finally Defeated the Gold Standard? And our guests today are John Rubino, who will be with me in just another minute or two, and Doug Rowe. Earlier this summer, my uh, predictions of a bottoming of the gold price were clearly uh, too early. We, we certainly hit a new low recently. Uh, gold has broken through a key support level that I was uh, hoping uh, would, uh, would hold. It hasn't. 
but uh, that's happened despite the fact there's been huge demand for physical gold coming out of Asia, India, Russia, and elsewhere. But as David Jensen frequently reminds us, that uh, again, the COMEX gold quotes are, are virtual quotes. They may as well be widgets that we're trading. It has nothing to do, very, very little to do with actual gold uh, demand because it's mostly just a paper game. You know, let's bet on which direction the gold price goes next week. And then uh, the house is really clearly controlling the direction of that gold price within certain bounds, at least. So this lack of uh, true price discovery is definitely killing the gold mining companies because they are getting paid on the basis of those phantom prices that come across on the COMEX and on the LBMA. And so I want to ask John Rubino, as soon as we come back from a commercial break, if economic reality, reality can soon overcome these bullion banks' uh, mischief. And in other words... Will the frauds who the, the frauds uh, who are perpetrating the gold price fraud on the COMEX finally be recognized and thus start a massive rise as people demand real gold as opposed to phantom gold? And then at about half past the hour, I'm expecting to talk to to uh, Doug Grohl of the Tocqueville Gold Fund to hear his assessment of the gold mining industry and to ask him uh, what are some of the top picks that the Tocqueville Gold Fund is uh, allocating their shareholders' money into. Well, we do have to go to break now, but as soon as we come back, I'll be with John Rubino, so don't go away. Be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Production of platinum and palladium is heavily concentrated in South Africa and Russia. Rising costs, labor strife, and ever more challenging underground mining conditions have led to serious and ongoing supply deficits. New sources of PGMs from stable regions are needed to meet the increasing global demand. Well Green Platinum's PGM Nickel Project in Canada's Yukon hosts one of the world's largest concentrations of platinum, palladium, and nickel. Excellent management, favorable jurisdiction, strong supply and demand fundamentals, and near-term catalysts. Visit wellgreenplatinum.com to learn more. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Rubino. And John uh, is, is well known to this uh, audience by now, I, I'm sure. But uh, just uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with him, he uh, runs a very popular website called dollarcollapse.com. And uh, I would suggest you jot that down, uh, bookmark it, and go there because John writes an awful lot of uh, great things there and a lot of other people that uh, he adds onto that site that contributes some very worthwhile uh, ideas and uh, updates on the market and what's going on. Uh, John has a background in, in New York City uh, in, on Wall Street uh, years ago. We won't hold that against him because he's recanted and now he is a free market advocate. Uh, he, but he uh, took his MBA from New York University, and he was a Euro-dollar trader, uh, a junk bond analyst as well, and uh, an equity analyst too on Wall Street. So he has a great background in the financial realm, and um, but lives now in Idaho, where he's decided a more sane place uh, to live. Welcome, John. It's really good to have you with us again. Thanks, Jay. Good to be back. Really, always good to talk to you. Um, James Grant has, uh, I think, correctly stated that the current monetary system, uh, at least in the Western world, he, he's called it the PhD system, as opposed to the uh, to the gold uh, gold back standard that we had. Uh, PhD standard as opposed to the gold standard. Um, you, you know, do you, do you think? Uh, do, do you what do you think? We're how do you think the PhD boys are doing? <laughs> they're doing as well as they always do. You know, you can, you can go back through history and, and uh, find so many instances of governments deciding that the, the laws of finance or geopolitics or whatever shouldn't apply to them, that they can transcend them. So they, they put together the smartest guys they can uh, find and let the experts run things. And the experts always fail because you, you cannot violate um, the basic laws of the universe for long. You know, you can bend them for a little while, but eventually fundamentals went out. And so, you know, look at the Vietnam War. We, we brought in the best and the brightest uh, to run it, and it was a total disaster, probably our worst geopolitical experience in our, in our country's history. And um, now we're deeply into the monetary policy version of that, you know, where we've, uh, we've got these guys in charge who basically believe they can run the system better than markets can do. Mm-hmm. And so they're manipulating everything in sight. And in the process, they're, they're um, short-circuiting all the price signaling mechanisms, which are make, what make capitalism work. You know, you yeah. can't have capitalism without prices being set by market participants, which then send signals to other market participants and cause them to do things that uh, lead to the efficient allocation of capital. You know, that's how mm-hmm. capitalism works. And, you know, you take that part away, and all you've got is a bunch of guys blundering around blindly, throwing money at stuff that, uh, that might or might not be a good idea, and in the aggregate turns out not to be a good idea, and then the system collapses. We're headed for that. Yeah, and, well, indeed. You, you take away price discovery from the capital markets, essentially, by pushing and forcing interest rates to zero. Uh, then what happens to the allocation of capital, right? Yeah, yeah. So you end up with central planning, 
which has been tried many times throughout history, where you, you, you know, put a bunch of guys in a room and say, okay, tell us how much steel we need to have and, and uh, how much copper and how many houses should we build and how much wheat should we grow. And, and these guys make numbers up out of thin air, try to impose it on people who really couldn't care about their opinions, and uh, the system fails. And so but John, we, but, but John, we have guys from Princeton, Harvard, and Yale and MIT. <laughs> These are brilliant people. They're not, they're not people with IQs of 100. These are brilliant people, uh, and you're telling me that, that a whole bunch of people with an average IQ of 100 acting collectively can do a better job of allocating scarce resources than a few of these brightest people with IQs of 180 plus? Yes. Market economies are vastly more complex than the human brain. So there, there's no way for a, an individual person or a group of people to figure out a market. It's just too big for them to understand. And it's also driven in large part by the emotions of the people who are uh, you know, at the grassroots making decisions about capital. So you, you can't impose a will on that. You know, the, the, the central planners living in the, the country's capital can't look out a thousand miles away and decide what has to happen to a farm or to a school or to a roadway or whatever and and have their decision make any sense. That's just how life works. And so governments over and over again find this out really painfully. And, you know, they, they fail in an attempt to manipulate markets and then they have to go back to letting the markets do their thing because otherwise there's no point in having markets if the markets aren't going to be allowed to operate according to pricing signals with individuals deciding how to allocate capital because that's how markets work. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're um, you know, I don't know how far we're into this, you know, how, how, how close the end is because they've kept this thing going so much longer than they should have been able to. You know, yeah, I thought 2005 was the end of this, and, and yeah. uh, instead we've got a whole nother cycle, a whole nother bubble being blown up. So, yeah, <sighs> a bigger bubble, and uh, yeah, the the whole thing is, of course, that uh, once you suppress one market and you don't allow that market to work efficiently, it affects other markets. So, for example, Lawrence Summers uh, is well aware. We know that from uh, his article in Gibson's Paradox that, in fact, if you suppress the interest rate, you also have to suppress the gold price. You have to push the gold price down. Uh, and so they've been doing that. I have no doubt about it. I don't know if you, what your thoughts are exactly on this, John. We talk to David Jensen on this show on a regular basis, and he talks about the phantom or, let's say, virtual uh, COMEX market in which uh, a couple of major players can go in and just swamp the market uh, with futures contracts, highly leveraged futures contracts they, uh, that are purchased with money printed out of nothing, out of thin air, go in and, and uh, basically drive the gold price down at exactly the time when anxiety is rising and you would expect loss of confidence against fiat money. Uh, but uh, how far can they push this, and do you see any reason? I mean, uh, what I really want to get to here is an article that you recently wrote, and I would suggest to our listeners you go to dollarcollapse.com and read this article titled, Did Gold and Silver Just Get Their Greenspan Put? Talk to us a little bit, John, about the Greenspan Put. We know about the Greenspan Put when he was Federal Reserve Chairman. He had a put under the market, and he wouldn't let the stock market go below a certain level. That was the concept, at least. He would start pumping money into the system. I think we're doing that in spades now with the Bernanke and now with the Yellen feds, uh, probably more than ever pumping money into the system to try to keep the, uh, the, the stock market from collapsing. Uh, but talk to us about a Greenspan put on gold. 
Yeah. Well, basically, the, the Greenspan put was the government telling the big banks and the financial markets in general, don't worry, we got you back. You know, if they, you can speculate in any way you want to, lend to anybody you want to, that you want to, and if you get into trouble, we will come in and bail you out. Yep. And, and they uh, did. Yeah, they took that to heart. So the, the leveraged speculating community now runs the world because they, they know they can't lose. And um, so what happened lately in the gold market was that the um, the guys manipulating the market and you know zero hedge just had a, a a great article with a really telling chart in it showing that um, one and a half billion dollars worth of gold futures contracts were dumped on the market at basically lunchtime um, on the Japanese market when everybody was out to lunch somebody came in and, and uh, smashed the price down by selling a bunch, bunch of futures contracts which is exactly the wrong way to get the best price right and you, sure. you wait till the market's nice and liquid and people can buy what you're selling sure. you don't wait till they go out to lunch and then just smash it down so obviously that was an attempt at manipulating the market and it worked so the best price wasn't their intent no 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 well I mean they wanted the best price but for them the best price was the lowest the low price. price you know they didn't want to get the highest price as a normal Normal seller does, yeah. but so so what happened in this last smackdown though was that China came in and basically said we'll take all the gold in the world and they bought for a, a stretch of a couple of months um, all the gold that's being produced by the world's gold mines and then India stepped up their gold buying because uh, uh, India's a long story which we probably don't have time to get to but lately they they're buying more and more gold as well and Russia who's mad at the U.S. for a variety of mostly valid reasons uh, and has been buying a lot of gold lately stepped up their gold buying so you saw these three countries buy way more than the uh, gold that's available from gold mines uh, it, in a given year. Yeah. And um, at the same time, individual buyers of silver coins swamped the, um, the, the coin dealers out there. The U.S. Mint normally sells, uh, in a good month, maybe 5 million one-ounce silver eagle coins. Well, um, last Wednesday, in two hours, they sold 2 million of them. Wow. And it ta- completely tapped out their inventory. They had to stop selling coins. They're going to start again on the, uh, the 17th. Um, under allocation, where they'll they'll make some, they'll sell as many as they uh, you know as they make, but they won't give you all you want because there aren't enough of them anymore. Mm. And so it's possible that physical buyers have now put a floor under precious metals, or or are close to putting a floor under precious metals by saying, "All right, look at these prices, we'll take it all." You know, you just <laughs> give us all the gold and silver yeah. that you can come up with, and we'll buy it at these prices. And if that's yeah. true, that means the physical market is now contending with the paper market mm. uh, to determine the prices in precious metals, and. Uh, you know that's been the holy grail of, of gold bugs forever is the physical market swamping the paper market and setting mm-hmm. prices much much higher than the paper market wants them to be set sure and so we're, we're seeing signs of that now you know we don't know if this is it but when it happens this is what the early stages of it will look like so that was very encouraging a lot of fun yeah. to watch no it certainly is and david jensen's been talking to us about backwardation i don't know if if it's uh, if the markets are still the gold market is in backwardation today or not do you check that john no i i mean i see reports of it 
Yeah. And so I don't know what it is today, but it, it did go into backwardation just lately here. And basically, that what, what that means is that uh, it costs more to buy gold, physical gold today, than it does to contract for it in the future, which is the opposite of the way it usually works. Right. Because people may be doubtful whether they can get it in the future. Yes, that may be it, one of the reasons. Exactly. It's a sign of shortage. And it's a very, yeah. very uh, unusual occurrence, and and uh, especially for gold, where there's so much of it above ground. So. Um, well, you know what happens though, John. If if now more and more people are saying, "Wait a minute, we don't want to just trade this phantom gold. We don't want to just trade contracts, you know, and cancel them out with winners and losers at the end of the contract period. We want actually to take this gold now." Then what happens to the gold price that we could see prices rising very dramatically? Possibly, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could see a shortage or a shortage leading to a default. Um, on a, a metals exchange like Comex or um, just the, evap- the evaporation of supply from dealers you know, for one ounce gold and silver coins. And at that point, either the, the paper market has to go way up to, um, to accommodate this, uh, this new market reality or the premiums. The paper market um, still sets prices, but the premiums that you have to pay go way up. So in other words, the, the price might be $15 for an ounce of silver, but you can't get silver for $15. You've got to spend $22 if you want a silver eagle or whatever. So in, in that case, it's the physical market that's determining the real price, the prices at which you actually get your, uh, your offer satisfied. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in in that case, then it becomes clear that there's a shortage of precious mm-hmm. metals out there, and mm-hmm. so then you get panic buying. You know, mm-hmm. the people who uh, have decided that they missed the boat, and yeah. uh, and that they they could have had it at fifteen. Well, now they still want it, but they they can't wait for it to go down anymore because now it's twenty two, and so yeah. they go in and they just say, all right, just whatever it costs, just get me that. 10,000 ounces that I've been waiting to buy. Yeah, and yeah. so then and then you see a short squeeze where everybody who's betting on precious metals going down gets steamrolled and then they have to close out their short positions at any price and and so so you see um, basically a run on precious metals. Yeah. Well, indeed and, that uh, certainly could could be uh, could be what's happening it seems to me at this point in time. But of course, you know, John, uh, those of us uh, gold bucks have been talking about this for a long time and it's been a long time coming. So if it's you know, it's. Uh, I, I think people shouldn't hold their breath on this on this uh, situation. No. But certainly, there are signs out there now, and with the global economy uh, in such, I think, really bad shape. It's, uh, you know, the, the, for the reasons we just talked about, the defying market reality and not allowing markets to operate efficiently is causing all manner of problems in the capital markets, and it's leading to a lack of of production and cash flow to service the enormous amounts of debt that keep growing very dramatically. We are unfortunately Unfortunately, out of time, John, you know, I just want to mention to my listeners, though, there's another article that you recently wrote, and we didn't have time to talk about it today, called U.S. Now Importing World's Deflation. Well, deflation, inflation is a very interesting topic. Uh, we have to have you back on to talk about it. We, we talked about it before. Uh, but it's sort of like a, a knife's edge, it seems to me, that could go either way, couldn't it? Um, yeah, uh, we've got huge deflationary forces in the market, which is all this debt we've taken on. The debt yeah. is deflationary. And then all the money we're printing is inflationary, and they're kind of contending out there. So it yeah. swings back and forth between different countries. Right now it's yeah. the U.S.'s turn for deflation. That's uh, That was the point of the article. Yeah, well, it certainly seems like, uh, it, again, it gets to psychology. And if, if people decide they don't want to hold dollars anymore and they want tangible items, they, the philosophy of money starts to turn over, and then all of a sudden – 
the dollar or whatever the currency is can lose its value and then prices as denominated in that currency can go up very very rapidly so i'm i'm you know this is not a good thing we don't want to see the gold price rise because of all this human misery and difficulties that are that are coming uh, I'm a gold investor because I believe the things that you and I have just talked about defying the natural markets are going to cause big trouble uh, and that's uh, why I think you and I both would agree on that's why we we are gold investors and silver investors as well yeah totally agree Jay it's, it's just a question of timing now not if but when and, yeah. uh, and that's the big question because uh, we're Indeed. in uncharted territory we sure are we sure are John unfortunately we're out of time thank you so much for coming on the show and again folks it's dollarcollapse.com go there read John's excellent work and, uh, uh, and other writers too that are featured there thanks so much for being with me John thanks Jay Folks, don't go away. We're going to be uh, right back with Doug Grow of the Tocqueville Gold Fund. We're going to try to ask Doug what some of his uh, well, the top allocations of the Tocqueville Fund and why he likes those particular stocks, and also uh, to get his take on the gold mining industry, which is uh, really suffering through some of the most difficult times that I can remember in the thirty plus years I've been involved in this industry. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Grow. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, Doug Rowe. Doug is a portfolio manager and senior research analyst at Tocqueville Asset Management. He joined Tocqueville in 2003, uh, where he is a portfolio manager. 
uh, and prior to joining Tocqueville, uh, he uh, was a director of investment research at Grove Capital, uh, and also worked at uh, J.P. Morgan, Merrill Lynch, uh, and ING Bank, where uh, actually I first met up with Doug as I was working at ING at that time as well. Um, Doug began his career as a mining and precious metals analyst in 1985 at uh, U.S. Global Investors, uh, and he has a, a Bachelor of Science in Geology and uh, Geophysics from the University of Wisconsin, uh, and also uh, a Master's degree from the University of Texas at Austin. Welcome, Doug. It's really good to have you with me again. Well, hi, Jay. It's good to be with you this afternoon. Good day. Good to have you with me uh, again. You know, you're, the Tocqueville Fund, I must say, um, got a warm spot in my heart for the Tocqueville Fund, my wife and I, because it's been pretty good to us. We invested a little bit of money in there in the early 2000s, and it uh, really helped helped us uh, fund our, our son's education through St. John's uh, College in Annapolis. And so, um, yeah, so we... I, I can't. I have to tell my listeners I'm not totally unbiased. I'm. I've been happy about your your fund's performance. And actually, though, uh, if you're to look at it, you, your your fund has performed very well. It's done quite well relative to a benchmark that you that you use. Um, uh, you know, I've, it's been tough for gold mining companies. But I see over the last ten years, you have a, a five point one nine percent. I think is what you've published uh, annual return during a period of time. Mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, you can take almost any time you want to make your case. If you wanted to fudge the figures, you could take a time that was probably right after, up until t- uh, the end of 2011, perhaps, or right, <laughs> or the middle right. of 2011. <laughs> and it would be beating the S&P at that time uh, frame very, very dramatically. But it's been a tough, uh, been a really tough time. Uh, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, so how do you see this mining industry, the gold mining industry? I'm looking at now, Doug, I'm looking at companies. I'm talking about the household name companies, the Gold Corps, mm-hmm. the Newmonts, the Agni Legals, many of them which you have in your fund. These guys are, you know, they're, they're selling at prices they didn't sell at when gold was at $400 an ounce. And here we are at 1200 or they're close to that, 1170 today. And, you know, we're selling at a third you know, we're. I mean, it's incredible. We're selling at the price. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're go, yeah. Yeah. How do you explain well, it? What's what's well, going thanks. wrong? Thanks, Jay. Thanks for those comments too. And we're, we're certainly uh, happy that we could help with your long-term financial planning. And uh, the gold was a part of that. And that's our approach, really, is is the long-term uh, investment opportunity in gold. And that's why we have some of the exposure we do have to uh, companies such as Gold Corp and uh, Ignico Eagle Royal Gold who, who uh, command prominent positions in the portfolio. But, but I will say this, um, you know, as far as recent additions, um, it was last week we actually added uh, gold bullion uh, once again to the fund. We, we went out and bought about 10,000 ounces of gold, which is the first time we've done that in about eight years. We, ha- oh, we have okay. about uh, 110,000 ounces of gold in the uh, Tocqueville Gold Fund now. Mm. How many did really, you say? Uh, how many did 100, you say? 110,000. Oh, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's the most prominent position in the fund. It makes up about 10, 11% of the assets under management in the gold fund. And our thought on that was, um, you know, we're, we're thinking that, you know, gee, the gold price is really getting beaten up here. It's approaching the cost of production for the industry. And the best time to invest um, that I've observed throughout my career, and I've covered the basic materials and the gold sector through throughout my career, 
is when you see the cost of production above the product price. And mm-hmm. uh, whether that's the oil market or the coal market or the lead zinc market or the copper market or gold market, it, the best time to, to buy into a sector is, is when that price goes through the industry's cost of production. And, and in some cases, we're, we're at that level, um, certainly for the South Africans who are challenged with their cost structure, they have deeper minds to operate in. Safety is a, a greater cost for them. There's social costs. They'll face labor negotiations next year. Uh, so costs are unlikely to go down, um, and yet the price is going down. So it will put a squeeze on, on some of these mining companies, and those that don't have a balance sheet uh, are going to be really challenged. Uh, Barrick is going to be facing continued challenges, I think, through the next couple of years. Um, so we've emphasized those companies such as Gold Corp, who has taken on the capital spending over the last several years and now is in a position to harvest that capital spending by bringing on new mines and new production uh, to keep its costs relatively in control. Um, the royalty companies uh, are great business models. Uh, you probably have discussed that on the program, I'm sure, in the past. Oh, sure, sure. Um, well, you know, I would just, uh, I, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your gold position, your bullion position, that is your top position more than any of the single companies. Right, that's right. That's right. I and, saw it was uh, 9.38% at September 30th, so you're actually t- a little bit larger than that now, perhaps. Well, that's right. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was rather interesting. We don't have active trading in bullion. We, we buy it and hold it. Uh, it's there mm-hmm. for the long term. And when we went out to source uh, some supply last week, um, we went to the bank that holds our gold, um, a large Hong Kong named bank, mm-hmm. and um, they would not, they did not want to trade with us because we don't have an active account. And we thought that was rather interesting that, um, you know, we presented them with an opportunity to, to sell us gold, but they were not willing to open up a an account with us because we don't do active trading. Hmm. So it, it tells you something about the marketplace. I think that uh, I came in a little bit late on your earlier discussion, but um, the physical supply for gold is tight out there. Yeah. Um, you know, so well, it's been it's been in backwardation uh, at least briefly uh, recently. Last, it's been in last couple of weeks. That's right, yeah. and, and that's not yeah. a typical occurrence. Yeah. And you know, part of that is the challenging markets that we're in, that these mining companies, um, as much as we've seen a lot of growth in the last couple of years, we're, we're probably at peak gold production here uh, in 2014, mm-hmm. 2015. And with these gold prices, uh, management teams are going to have to make the, the hard decision to close operations, to put operations on care and maintenance, which, which only leads to a tighter market down the road, as, as I'm sure you've discussed, too, on your program. Mm-hmm. Uh, exploration activity is, is not currently going on in this marketplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything that's under development uh, is well capitalized, but no new development is getting underway. Perhaps somebody like Remarco can, can, can initiate some, uh, some uh, development program. But uh, if you haven't gotten your permits by now, <laughs> you're not building a mine. Um, well, it takes forever, doesn't it? It takes well, you know five, right. ten years. Five years is a is a very quick mine. You don't build a mine in five years after you've. I mean, it takes uh, until you, you discovery until production. Uh, it could be well. A lot of times, if one company makes a, a great discovery and never gets into production. Ten, twenty years later, someone else comes along, picks it up, and puts it into production. Seems to be the way things go. As much as uh, as much as often as not. 
Well, that, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's only getting longer um, with the permitting process and the requirements uh, that uh, mining companies have to um, undertake in order to satisfy the various stakeholders, whether it's getting the social license or the, the state or local licenses or permits or the federal government's uh, willingness to go, in the he- go ahead and let a company operate. So it's only become more challenging, which uh, only should increase the price of gold in the long term. Yeah, it should, although I, I would mention, though, I think the difference between gold and some of the other, even silver, for, for that matter, and certainly copper and some of the other industrial metals, metals that are base metals that are used in production all the time, is that there is a huge amount of above-ground gold supply that sits in vaults. Uh, like the 110,000 ounces that the Tocqueville Fund owns. You know, I mean, there's, it's, it's not as if at some price there isn't available uh, supply out there. It's just that people hold it because they view it as money, I think. And so to me, it's not as sensitive. So the notion that the mines were all to shut down, uh, tomorrow, what is something like 2% a year or something like that increase in the gold supply? Uh, wouldn't be as dramatic as it would, say, the copper industry, where you have immediately there would be no supply and the price would have to go to the moon. But in any event, you're, it's, it's well, you're, your point is well taken, and it certainly makes sense to buy gold uh, at, at these levels, it seems to me, and I'm, I'm uh, grateful that you did. You mentioned South Africa and their issues. Uh, is there any room in the Tocqueville Fund to own uh, the platinum group metals? Well, we do have exposure to Stillwater. And, okay. Uh, you know, people do think of that company as a, a palladium platinum producer, and uh, yeah. certainly they do that. Uh, they undertake that as well as some refining. Um, and our enthusiasm for that that company and that, that stock is that uh, um, we think the dynamics of the platinum group metals um, is – is such that we will see higher prices over the long term mm-hmm. um, from the industrial demand as well as from the uh, geogra- geographic supply, mm-hmm. with most of the supply coming from Russia and, and South Africa. Mm-hmm. And here, Stillwater is in the United States, and so we have a ready access to supply that's not in maybe a, a threatened uh, geography. So we like that dynamic. They have a great resource um, and new management. So, you know, we're pretty encouraged by what's going on at, at Stillwater and think, think that's a, uh, a good way to get exposure to the platinum group metals. Right. You mentioned uh, the royalties companies. You've got Royal Gold with a 5.79% allocation and Franco Nevada 5.22% at your September 30th uh, quarter, quarter end. Those are certainly great companies. Uh, yeah, t- talk to our listeners a little bit about the advantages of a royalty company as opposed to a regular mining company. Yeah, um, a little bit of a different dynamic in that um, a royalty company does not have the same operating exposure that an operating mining company has. They will have exposure to the uh, asset of a of a ore deposit. Um, they have exposure to the gold price, but they don't have the operating exposure per se. And the, the business model in a simplified form is they provide capital to a mining company to to build a mine. And in exchange for that capital, they get uh, some type of interest from the production, whether it's a top-line royalty, a portion of production from the top, uh, or maybe some type of profit after some of the costs are incurred to produce that, that ore or that metal. Um, so there's different variations, but the, the appeal there is, is they don't have that operating risk. They can have a diversified portfolio of 
different royalties from different parts of the world um, that they will always have exposure to. If the mine is not operating, it doesn't mean that they lost exposure necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they would still have ownership to to that uh, asset through that royalty stream or through that contract that they initiated. So, and I think the notion of diversification is is an important one where they can select their projects uh, um, with the capital that they're providing, as opposed to a mining company. Once it's committed, it it has to really for, uh, go ahead and and develop the asset to its fullest, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's responsible for creating the the ultimate value there at the. Mm-hmm at that ore deposit as opposed to uh, a royalty company who's, who's really a partner with the uh, operating company. So, they are a partner, but they don't have to worry about sustaining capital either, do they, as, well, as the mining that's companies? that's another aspect. They yeah. don't have to worry about operating costs. They don't have to worry about uh, sustaining capital. They, they aren't necessarily the ones negotiating with the country or the, the local jurisdiction about uh, operating um, the mine or, mm-hmm. or concerned about the social uh, issues that that often creep up in the in the mining, so um, they're a little bit removed, and and as such, they get a better valuation than operating companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to have a valuation almost twice that of uh, the operating companies, and certainly that's the case in this market. And that, in part, explains the the uh, large weighting we have in the portfolio. Um, we've held those positions for some time. Uh, we initiated those positions at maybe a two or three percent level in the portfolio, and through time, they have appreciated to become a more prominent uh, oh. weighting in the in mm-hmm. the portfolio over time. So, mm-hmm. we're long term investors. We don't do much turnover in the fund. We try mm-hmm. to do our research right up front and identify those companies with with uh, good assets and an appropriate management team to make the most of those assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly. Uh, companies that are well supported by their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly as I look at it, you know, between uh, your gold bullion and your two royalty companies, you were looking at about 20% of the fund right there in those very conservative assets that, right. that should do well, though, nonetheless, with a, with a rising gold price. Well, you know, um, it does because those, those companies do participate in a rising gold price. We do have uh, exposure to the, the smaller cap names as well, some of those companies that are, are going out and, and developing deposits. Almaden's uh, in the portfolio, International Tower Hill, which doesn't have a mine at this gold price, but we think in time uh, we'll see the, the right gold price uh, for its, its mining activity to be, uh, to be financed and justified. Uh, ATAC is another name in the, in the portfolio, rather small at this point, but uh, they're on to a tremendous deposit, we think, in the Yukon. So some of those smaller names will get the boost from a higher gold price, but in a downward trending gold price the way we've seen this past year, the exposure to bullion and the royalty companies has really served us well. We, they're a little bit less volatile, I think, than some of the other larger um, gold mining companies such as mm-hmm. uh, Newmont or, or, uh, or Barrick or even Goldcorp or Agnico mm-hmm. Eagle. No. So we, we mitigate some of that volatility with that exposure to gold and the royalty companies. 
Yeah, it's uh, interesting, and folks, you might want to just take a note of, of some of the names that Doug mentioned, because if Doug Groh and his team are looking at these companies, uh, you can be pretty sure they weeded out a lot of others that, uh, that, that you might not have to <laughs> waste your time doing the research on. Thank you for that, Doug. But of course, well, the best, the best way to do it is to go buy the Tocqueville Fund. That's one way to do it, and then you can get all of, what, <laughs> all of Doug's hard work uh, to your benefit. So, But you know, Doug, I want to ask you about another, um, I think there's another company that, that makes it into your top 10. Uh, is it Torex? Torex yes, Gold? Right. Yes. Yep. Talk yep. to us about that one. I, I don't, that's a, a name that I'm not familiar with. Well, they have a uh, operation in, in southern Mexico that they're developing. It used to be a tech asset that uh, they, they, uh, they bought about oh, four or five years ago. Um, and in the process of developing that ore deposit, uh, they initially identified about three million ounces, but it looks like it's more like five, if not uh, seven or eight million ounces. Hmm. Um, they are fully financed at this point, and later uh, next year they should be in, in operation and uh, producing gold. Uh, on a f- more commercialized basis, basis, it'll be 2016. But in the process of uh, building the mine and uh, developing roads and uh, clearing the area, they have uh, discovered more gold. So it's it's a prolific area. Um, gold Corp has a, a mining operation uh, not far from theirs. Um, gold Corp's operation will be running out of ore in the next several years. And so there is some discussion in the marketplace that perhaps Gold Corp would uh, be interested in partnering or uh, taking a greater uh, involvement in the area through Torex. Um, so it's it's a it's a dynamic story. It's in that development stage at this point, and you probably have observed. Uh, as have your listeners, those companies that are developing their operations don't get the full valuation until they've actually gotten up and running, mm-hmm. running their mines when um, they've generated cash flow and the marketplace actually sees that the mine works. So as they go through that process in the next year or so, we expect to see a better valuation for, uh, for Torex um, as they de-risk that project. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of other names. We've got about three minutes left, Doug. Uh, El Dorado comes in at, at your fifth largest holding at the end of the quarter with 4.82% uh, allocation. Uh, why, do you, why do you like that one? Well, uh, El Dorado has been uh, successful at um, building operations around the world. Um, they are well capitalized at this point. They've slowed down their their um, growth profile, their growth plans in the last uh, couple of years with the de- declining gold price. Um, but they are well-financed for their projects in Europe. Um, and and while they do have exposure also to China, um, most recently they've indicated that they are interested in selling their Chinese assets. And I, and I think that's, that's probably the right move for them. Uh, China's not the easiest place to operate. Um, I think that uh, the realization of capital out of China uh, can be deployed in other parts of the, the world where there's tremendous values right now in this, in this marketplace. Um, I can see El Dorado uh, selling its Chinese assets and, and using those funds to, to purchase some of the cheap assets that are out in the marketplace right now. It's, yeah. it's really kind of interesting. As we get to the end of the year, Jay, you're going to see a number of companies have to reassess their resource at lower mm-hmm. gold prices, and mm-hmm. that will that will result in write downs. That will result in uh, lower valuations for a number of these companies. In some cases, 
that's already occurring. The market is forward-looking and anticipating that write-down. But tremendous values will be surfaced, and those companies with a good balance sheet, such as Eldorado or Gold Corp, um, will be able to, to add to their portfolio uh, for the next upturn in the gold price. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so a good management team, uh, they have been there uh, throughout the years. It, it's, it's rather interesting. The, the top names in our portfolio are companies that have management teams that have been in place for a long time. As you know, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of turnover in the industry. But companies such as Gold Corp, uh, Eldorado, Rand Gold, uh, Torex is a bit of a new company. Um, these are all management teams that have been in place for the last, um, well, 10 years or so. Uh, Torex mm-hmm. is not that old, but yeah. uh, through most of their life in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, well, management obviously is the most important issue uh, for people to consider. And, uh, yeah, you obviously have to have some new management uh, geniuses arise over time, but uh, you're, you're best to look at those that have the track record, and I'm, I'm sure uh, that's a big part of your uh, due diligence as well. And you know these people, you talk to them on a regular basis, and uh, and that's the best way to go. I want to thank you very much, Doug. We're just about out of time, but I want to thank sure. you very much. I might just mention Yamana. I had Yamana and Rangold as uh, also in the top ten, uh, but it's uh, Tocqueville Gold. I guess Tocqueville Gold Corp. Uh, what uh, Tocqueville. What is the website that people should go to? Tocqueville Gold. It's uh, Tocqueville dot com. So www Tocqueville dot com, and that's T O C Q U E V I L L E dot com. And you can, you know, kind of wind your way around the website. There, different tabs would show you our different products. But there should be some information on the gold space um, that I think your listeners would appreciate and, and yeah. benefit from. Yeah, I think John Hathaway contributes some things there too from time to time, doesn't he? he writes some things on the gold markets as well. So he, he yeah. does. He's a regular writer there and author of, yeah. of some great ideas. The great ideas is absolutely right. Well, thank you very much, Doug, for being with us today, and look forward to doing it again sometime in the near future. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. Good to be with all you. All right, thank all you. Right. All the best. Well, folks. That's all the time we have for today, this week, next week. Very interesting and insightful market analyst named Chris Meyer will be with me for the first time, and also. I'll be speaking to Axel Merck. He'll join me to talk about a recent discussion that he had with Alan Greenspan himself about gold and also uh, to discuss the Swiss gold referendum. Thanks to Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors as well. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. 
In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. 